1: Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening. Hello, Dino.
0: Good evening, Paula.
1: How are you? Doing great. We are Dean and Paula Roberts, and we are co-coaches of the RYR Endurance Team, where we love coaching runners and triathletes.
0: Yeah. I went for a swim this morning, and on my swim... I decided to challenge myself so previous podcast we talked about finding failure which is a phrase one of our athletes coined when she gave it all she had until she had no more which is a great thing on a bo b02 max workout that's not what i was doing today i was doing some time trials in the pool and i did a 400 time trial and a 200 time trial and on the 400 time trial i set my watch to give me a beep at a fast but conservative pace, and I was able to beat that by just a little bit, and it was hard. But then on the 200, I decided, well, I'm gonna set the bar just a little bit faster than I think I can do, and I was able to hit it. So my point being is sometimes we have to push ourselves a little bit harder than we think we can just to see what our limits are. That's true.
1: And I tell you what, this past week, summer came in blazing with 90 degree temperature. So it's nice to get a little reprieve from that and running in the 50s over the weekend.
0: Yeah. And the temperature was a comfortable 70 something degrees air temperature at the pool. So it didn't matter what the weather was outside. That's true. I wish they would warm the water up though. 82 degrees. That's okay. So the Olympics are coming up we're about three weeks out are you excited about that
1: i love watching the olympics yeah
0: i'm not sure how many different channels the olympics are going to be on but i hope we can watch a lot of the events
1: we might be sad that we downgraded our dish plan
0: (laughs) i bet we could buy an olympic television package probably nbc sports would be my guess we should check into that hours of entertainment there
1: oh yeah Speaking of hours of entertainment, I'm super excited about our podcast guest today. I am too. So we've had Dr. Scott Black on our podcast once before. Our team and our listeners loved the information he shared with us, so we have invited him back.
0: And we're going to be talking about supplements and nutrition. And in the previous podcast, we talked about hydration. So we're covering all the bases. But we're excited to have him, and let's get him on the line. Let's do this.
2: Well, good evening, Scott. It's great to have you back on the program. Well, thanks for having me back. I really enjoyed the the last time, so I've been looking forward to this.
1: We've gotten lots of positive feedback from our listeners, and they just learned so much from you last time that we're just happy you were willing to jump back
0: on with
2: us. Love talking about this stuff, so... (laughs)
0: So just for any listeners that haven't listened to the previous podcast on hydration, just tell us a little bit about yourself.
2: Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, i trained as a family physician and then had uh, did a sports medicine fellowship. And uh, in the course of all that, got really interested in exercise. So went back to school and got a master's degree in exercise physiology and, and then did a... Uh, a graduate certificate in sports nutrition. So I really, really enjoy everything related to physical activity and exercise and and running and cycling and uh, outdoor activity and the way that it relates to your health. So happy to talk about that any chance I get.
0: That's great. And part of your title includes lifestyle medicine?
2: Yes. So right now I'm working with Owensboro Health. I started with them in February. And um, they've allowed me to set up a lifestyle and sports medicine practice. So what we do in that practice is try to get people active and and keep them active as long as we can.
0: That's great. And then you're also the co-founder of Sword Performance.
2: Yes, that was a project that um, started, oh gosh, it's seven or eight years ago now. A friend of mine and I got together on that and it has slowly grown into a a real honest to goodness business now. Well, that's great.
0: So on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about training and performance supplements with a, just with a touch of nutrition mixed in there.
1: <laughs> Any Anytime we have you on, we're going to go to nutrition because that's, that's my favorite topic.
2: <laughs> well, you know, the, the real honest to goodness sports nutritionists would absolutely uh, get all over me. If I didn't start out by saying that, that food is still the the number one supplement. It is the most important supplement. And if you, if you haven't, if you haven't balanced your diet, if you're not doing a good job getting the, the correct balance of macronutrients, you're you're really probably wasting your time going to supplements. You got to get the base done first. You got to lay the foundation, and the foundation comes from good nutrition.
0: I agree. Yeah, that reminds me of something that one of our athletes posted on our Facebook group, and it was about the importance of sleep and what you're saying how nutrition is so important. To our fitness well sleep is right in that category too it's it's not just because your eyes are tired it's because your body needs the rest to rebuild mentally and physically
2: and both of those are part of recovery and physical activity exercise and there's a difference between training or or exercise physical activity just for your health and training to compete if you're training to compete it's stress it is stressful to train that hard and you need recovery. You need good recovery or you won't make gains. And nutrition, sleep, and supplements are all part of that.
1: So we, this is kind of taking a tangent before we even get started here, but we often have athletes who join our team and they're training for a big event. And they're also talking about wanting to shed 15 or 20 pounds. Maybe they're, they have just put on a little weight since college or for, for whatever reason. If you're working with an athlete or if you're working with one of your clients, do you suggest they not worry about cutting weight like leading right up to the event like what's the timing the best time for athletes to think about cutting weight?
0: That's assuming
1: our- assuming they need to.
0: And we're talking about endurance athletes.
1: Yes.
2: Yeah, that that's a really good question and it I'd hate to say that it depends but it does. It sort of depends on on if they need to, to lose weight, what their goals are and if, if they're trying to run as fast as they possibly can, trying to balance adequate nutrition during training, while you're trying to cut weight and you're working really hard is, is a tough combination. And unless you're really good at that, you can you can get things messed up in a hurry. If you're trying to lose weight while you're exercising hard training for something, uh, you really can overdo it and, and get, you know get an empty tank. And when that happens, it's hard to claw, it's hard to climb out of that that hole.
1: So, would you think the more ideal situation then would be to try, if you have a few extra pounds that need to be shed, to do that and be at that weight prior to going into your heavy training cycle?
2: Yeah. So, if you're really serious about training, again, this is for competition. You know, if you talk to most you know, coaches, they'll talk about periodizing your training. And yes. when, you, when you swing into that, if it's 12 week, 16 week, 18 week build up to a, a marathon or a Ironman or whatever it is, that, that is your, your a race. I think going into that, you, you ought to already be at your, at your goal weight because I mean, you may drop a few pounds as you do heavy training going into that. But again, if you're dropping weight because your nutrition's not good, your training's not going to be as good. So you just got to be really careful with that. Right.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of what I was thinking too, that ideally, if we had an athlete that wanted to shed some weight or needed to shed some weight, maybe wait like this time until after the A race and then focus on some nutrition that would help with that before going into a next big training cycle.
2: I think that's ideal.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Well, that was a tangent before we got started now. Okay. We,
2: we like
0: tangents on this program. We
1: we go on so many. That's a good um, tangent. Yeah. Well, thank you. So the first kind of supplement, which I don't guess this is really a supplement because it really kind of is food, but you hear of a lot of endurance athletes that a couple of weeks to a month out from a big race, they'll start um, consuming lots of beetroot juice. Are there benefits to that? And what would be those endurance athlete benefits?
2: So. Beetroot juice or, or beetroot in general is is one of the supplements that has been fairly uh, heavily studied and in certain situations and in some people does appear to have some benefit. And it seems to be more in the sort of the intermediate level athletes. So if you're a really elite athlete, it, it, the jury's still out whether it makes much difference or not. But for, for most of us, age groupers or in a kind of the lower level competitive athletes, there may be some benefit in doing that. Um, it has effects at, at multiple levels, but basically it, it, it seems to help your body deliver oxygen better and use that oxygen more efficiently when you're exercising. And so it, it's like uh, cheating a little bit and raising your VO2 max. It doesn't actually raise your VO2 max, but it kind of gives the same the same uh, effect. Okay. So, now, making you more aerobically efficient.
0: Right. So how does that relate to altitude training? Are there similar effects?
2: Well, with with altitude training, you're exercising, you're training in an environment where you have less oxygen availability. So it stresses your body a different way. Probably that the two would not be good to combine. And and that's the other thing to to think about when you're using a supplement. There's going to be a positive effect of that supplement, but then there's also going to be some potential negative effects. And uh, a perfect example of that, or we used to talk a lot about antioxidants, vitamin C and beta carotene and some of those things. And it turns out that those um, what are called oxidative species, reactive oxygen species, reactive nitrogen species that your body produces when you're exercising. We used to think about those as being bad things and that if we could get rid of those, we would perform better. So an antioxidant should make us perform better it turns out that we need those to adapt to the exercise stress. And if you, if you hinder those, if you re- reduce those in training, you don't get the same adaptation to training. So when you look at people that take a lot of antioxidants, they may not respond to training as well as people that don't take antioxidants. So again, you can foul things up by taking the wrong supplement or taking it at the wrong time. So pivoting back to beetroot, you wouldn't want to take it all the time since it theoretically makes training easier, you know, it, it, it would be like, uh, well, you go to altitude because you want to make training harder. You want to make it harder to get oxygen. Uh, that's the reason you go to altitude. So your body adapts and tries to get better at, at using oxygen. Well, if you do just the opposite and you artificially make your body better at using oxygen on a regular basis by taking beetroot juice, then you may not get the same adaptation to training. So ideally what you do with the beetroot is going into the race, maybe just four or five days out. So when you restart it, you don't need to take it any earlier than that. And then you're getting the effect of it without maybe the negative effect or the the uh, impairment it would have on your training.
1: So it's funny this, and again, another tangent, I had just read a similar, like a similar analogy about com- compression socks that if you're wearing those all the time after workouts, that you're preventing your body to get all the adaptations that it needs because the compression socks are preventing some of that.
2: Well, I, mean, I haven't seen that, but it's the same kind of theory. If, if you're if you're doing something that makes it easier during training, then theoretically you're not training as hard,
1: right? right.
0: So even you
2: know people that go to altitude, there's a train high, train low. Uh, if you train high all the time, you can't do the speed work that's necessary because you just can't run as fast at altitudes. You don't get the leg turnover. You don't use the muscles the same way. So the people that train at altitude, they, they always either come down a couple days a week to low altitude and do speed work, or they use supplemental oxygen at altitude so they can do speed work maybe on a treadmill or something. Right. So you, you, you want that variety Right. And you don't that want to make sense. it always in the same situation, same characteristics.
1: That makes complete sense to me.
0: So other than beetroot juice, What are some other natural options for increasing oxygen flow?
2: Well, um, I would encourage you just to Google nitrate because it's it's the nitrates and the nitrites that are in beetroot juice that have this effect. And there are a lot of other vegetables, uh, dark green leafy vegetables, that have really a lot of nitrates in them. So uh, you can just Google nitrate content of vegetables and and find a table of those. And you can even find tables that, that have things like in low, medium, high, and very high content of nitrates. And just eating a, a, a wide variety of fresh fruits and vegetables, particularly dark green leafy vegetables and things similar to that, will give you a large amount of nitrates in your diet naturally.
1: Okay. Are there key vitamins and minerals that help specifically with performance and injury prevention?
2: I think, at least from what I've read, the jury's still kind of out on using supplements that way. If you have a deficiency, absolutely. So if you're, if you're zinc deficient, then zinc is important for your immune function and wound healing and all kinds of things. So if, if you're truly zinc deficient, for example, then taking a zinc supplement would help. If your zinc levels are normal, I don't know if there's good evidence that taking a zinc supplement would make that much difference. Most of the vitamins and minerals would kind of fall into that same example. I remember seeing a TV commercial,
0: and you can't trust TV commercials, but I wanted to get your take on it. It was an advertisement for a magnesium supplement saying that it would help you keep from hitting the wall in your marathon. What, what's your thoughts on magnesium?
2: I don't think it's going to keep you from hitting the wall in a marathon. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't think so either. But If you're magnesium deficient, then certainly there may be some benefit from taking for taking magnesium. If you're Pregnant, you have preeclampsia. Then, as a medicine, magnesium sulfate seems to be wonderful. I don't think there's good evidence for just supplementing magnesium to to do a a lot of other things that it's purported to do. You know, reducing cramps, improving your glucose metabolism. There's you know there's a long list of things that people have talked about magnesium doing, and I I just don't think there's good evidence to support that.
0: So, are there any other supplements we could get at a local health food store to improve performance or prevent injuries?
2: A couple that, that again, have good evidence behind them that, that seem to work. One of the the most potent or best is caffeine. Most people, not everybody, but most people will respond positively to, to caffeine and it can reduce the sensation of fatigue and you'll perform better. And it, you know, you don't have to take a ton of it to get it to work. Optimal dose is somewhere around three milligrams per kilogram body weight, and it'll last about five hours. So, um, you know, if, if you're if you take a, a dose going into a marathon, you shouldn't have to redose after that. And particularly if you take it just before you get started, by the time it's it takes about an hour to absorb and get your bloodstream and get a, a level that's going to have some effect. Uh, by the time you're starting to struggle a little bit, an hour into the marathon, it's going to be having its effect and you're going to it's going to help you feel better. So is that something you
0: would take in a tablet form?
2: That's what's recommended is, is taking a tablet form because you know exactly what you're getting. If you rely on coffee or something like that, if you just brew the coffee differently, then you're going to have different caffeine content. If you get a different style of coffee, different caffeine content, so you're really never sure exactly what you're getting. In the tablet form, you you know the dose that you're getting. So it's, just, it's a little bit more uh, precision that way if, if you do it with a tablet.
0: So I'm, I'm guessing that this is like the, the other options we've talked about where you wouldn't want to do it all the time just on key training days or your big race.
2: Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So if you're going to do a, a race simulation or a really hard training day and you want a little extra to do that, then I, I, taking some caffeine is a, is a good thing to do. You also definitely want to practice a couple times before you go into the race. Because if you are one of those people that caffeine negatively affects or gives you you know, the jitters, then you don't want to take it race day. So it's good to find that out ahead of time.
1: Our motto is nothing new on race day.
2: <laughs> it's, a, it's a very good motto. So what are some things that
0: professional athletes do that is permitted that most amateurs can't and what benefits do they gain?
2: If you look at the, the real advantage that pros have is it they're pros. It, it is their job. And so they have a much more organized training schedule and their, their days are usually set up around training instead of around work because training is their work. If they need some time in the middle of the day to take a nap, they can do that to improve their recovery. If they need a massage as part of their training routine, they generally have time set aside and they can, and they can do that. Whereas most of the, um, you know, the non-professionals, at least eight hours of our day are taken up working, maybe more than that. And so that takes away from time to recover and from time to do other things to get prepared to practice. And and that's what I talk a lot to, um, I'm talking to amateur athletes about coming to practice prepared. And part of coming to practice prepared is make sure you're as recovered and ready to go as you possibly can be. You know, if you're coaching somebody and they show up for their training session and they're just dead and you can't get anything out of them that day, you kind of wasted your time in theirs. And so they've got to come ready. And part of coming ready is is being recovered. So the big thing that pros do is, is they they have this this team set up. You know, they may be in an individual sport, but a lot of times they'll talk about their team and they'll have a, nu- a nutrition person and they'll have a massage person and they'll have a coach and they'll have uh, you know a sports medicine person and they'll have a sports psychologist. And they all work together to get that person ready to do two things, train hard and then get ready to compete. And most of the rest of us just don't have that.
0: Yeah. So I remember when we met last time, you had a picture of cyclists on your wall behind you. And we had a conversation about cycling and When I think about professional cycling, I'm a big fan of it, but I know there are some issues with performance enhancing drugs and and other things that are not safe to do. Can you tell us a little bit about what some professional athletes do that is illegal or dangerous?
2: Yeah, so a lot of it depends on the demands of the sport. And so, cycling's a, is a perfect example of that. You know, if, if somebody's trying to win a Grand Tour, you think about what all they go through and what nearly three weeks or so of, of an event, and how many how many calories they go through in a day, how much weight they lose over the course of events. You, I get you probably have seen some of those pictures on the internet, whether they're real or not, of the way somebody looks going into the event and that, the way they look coming out of the event. They look like you know they've been through war. So. Those things are in- incredibly, incredibly stressful on a person, and so they do things to help. Potentially, do things to help enhance their recovery, and things like using anabolic steroids, because not only are those muscle builders when you're training, they also promote recovery when you're in a in an event like that. So that they, they certainly can help quickly, and 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 the other thing they do, and people I think don't. Um, have not talked about this as much in the past, they make you feel better. So if you're, if you're taking, you know, big doses of testosterone, just psychologically, you, you feel stronger, you feel better, you feel more aggressive. And that may be in, in a, in a race like that, one of the biggest advantages of doing something like that is just the way, the way it makes you feel. And if you feel better, you'll, you'll perform better. You won't, you won't give in to the fatigue as easily. So, those are the kind of things. If you look at the demand of the event, that would be very beneficial. Now, it's it's not legal, so you know they'll they'll, they'll try different things to to get around testing or or take it at certain times and not take it at other times or microdose it or do things or try to manipulate the system to successfully take things. But you know, I think that anti-doping people are getting more and more sophisticated and trying to stay one step ahead of, it's kind of a battle between the two labs, the anti-doping people and the doping people, and see who's, uh, who can stay ahead of the other. In training, things like human growth hormone, that may help with recovery and may help with some, some uh, muscle building. So that's something that's occasionally used. Um, in an aerobic sport like that, different forms of blood doping. So if because if, if you have more red blood cells, your red blood cells are, are what carry your oxygen. So if you have more red blood cells, you can carry more oxygen. You carry more oxygen. You may have a, a better aerobic capacity and perform better. So blood doping, whether it's taking your own blood out, freezing it then thawing it later and putting it back in or using something like EPO to try to boost your own red blood cell production. Those are things that are done to try to improve your aerobic capacity when you're racing. So they do things like that with different levels of success. Again, you can think about the demands of the sport and you can kind of see what sort of a performance enhancing drug would go along with that. If you're looking at strongman competition, you know, those guys and, and gals need to be as big and as strong as they possibly can be. They need as much muscle mass as they possibly can get. So in addition to all the training and all the food, it would benefit them to do something to increase muscle mass. And they do that with anabolic steroids and human growth hormone and other things like that. They're very sophisticated. They know what they're doing. I recently
0: had a doctor's appointment and the doctor and I, we got off topic and we're talking about beet juice (laughs) because when I visit a doctor such as yourself, I want to get as much information as I can in addition to to getting whatever (laughs) services my body needs. But anyway, so I was talking to this doctor and I don't know how it related to beet juice, but he was telling about a patient of his who was in his thirties, who was a bodybuilder and he competed in these bodybuilding strongman type competitions. And this person was doing something that was presumably legal in his sport, but it was allowing him to lift more weight and, and get bigger. But at the age of 30, it was causing him to have minor strokes and the doctor said that he didn't want to stop. His sport was more important than his long-term health. Have you heard of anything crazy like that?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it's a hypothetical, but uh, several years ago, I believe it was a group of Olympians were kind of given a survey and they were asked a question. If you had a drug that would guarantee you Success, I think gold medal or something like that. But you knew it would shorten your life by X amount of years. Would you take it? And the majority said, "Sure," because <laughs> because winning success is so important to them. Wow, that's a different mindset, and it's a different reason that they're that they're doing sports in the first place. All right. Let's get back on
0: the uh, the topic of legal things we can do.
1: Yeah, because I'm starting to get a little bit depressed.
2: <laughs> uh, so, are so foods legal? And we know, yeah. and caffeine's legal, and beetroot juice is legal. There's nothing wrong with any of those.
1: Let me let me just ask you about a couple other things that I've read about. One is I've heard of athletes who, before a big event, take a baby aspirin.
2: Okay, um, do you know why they do that, or the reason they're giving
1: it? Has something to do with something about the blood and endurance athletes. Like I don't know. No, I don't.
2: <laughs> so it's a blood thinner, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't come across that. It Doesn't mean that they're not doing it. I just haven't haven't seen that. When you're when you're exercising hard, as you get dehydrated, your your blood kind of it, it thickens a little bit. And I don't know if that's something they're trying to counteract. They had some thought that maybe it would help with that. But I'm not aware of any performance benefit. But that that doesn't mean you know it may just be something I'm unaware of.
1: Yeah, and then the only other one I'm just going to put you on the spot and ask about just because I don't know. I've also read that. In the same article, I read about caffeine, baby aspirin, and then the third thing was beta alanine. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, so um, that is something that um, there may be some. Be- that's another one that if if you're seriously thinking about taking supplements, that may be one that's beneficial. It works as a buffer. So if you're if you're exercising hard, if whatever event, again, specific to the event, if you're going to do something that requires you to exercise you know, above your anaerobic threshold. If you're, you know, it's a high power sport, something where you're really pushing yourself, um, your is going to be producing a lot of acid. And if you're trying to buffer that, that is a buffer and it may help you with performance in those particular situations. Same, same rules. though. you don't want to take it all the time. You might want to take it to practice a little bit and then starting four or five days, six days at the most, before the event, you'd start loading up with, with that. And so you get the buffer in your system. So you perform better on, on race day.
1: Okay.
0: So are there blood tests or other tests to help an athlete figure out what they need for nutrition, for optimal performance?
2: There, there are not a lot of really good blood tests and again, people will argue this. And so now that I've said it, I'm sure you'll have a, a, somebody listening that'll, well, strongly disagree, but because there are all kinds of things that are sold to athletes, but it you know there there are not again in my mind not a lot of evidence for many of the tests. Certainly, if you wanted to make sure that you weren't iron deficient, getting a ferritin level and and checking your your iron level and making sure that it's adequate. If your ferritin level is low, you should get a CBC to make sure you're not anemic. People have gone back and forth with vitamin D. It's easy enough to check a vitamin D level, and it's easy enough to supplement if it's low. If your vitamin D level is normal or even low normal as you're coming out of the winter, because it's going to go up in the summer, that's another thing. If you're checking vitamin D, what time of year are you you checking? Are you checking coming out of the winter where we don't have as much? Are you in the middle of summer? And so if you have a little bit of a low level coming out of the winter, you'll probably be okay without doing much if if you're outside. If your level's low in the middle of summer, then you probably need to be supplemented a little bit heavier. So a vitamin D is, is something reasonable to check. Most of like measuring protein levels and those kind of things, unless you're really, really, really mal- malnourished, you're not gonna see those things drop. So it's for an athlete, it's probably not gonna be all that helpful. Looking at your body composition can be helpful. If you're extremely lean, then that actually may mean you're undernourished. Calorie-wise, you know, some people are naturally just very lean, but some people are very lean because they're not taking in adequate calories. And so if you get a body composition, whether you do it with an underwater weigh or a or a bod pod or a DEXA or a bioelectrical impedance, and your percent body fat comes back really low for your age and sex, then you got to look at, do I have something wrong with my nutrition? Am I not eating well? Or am I just, am, am I just blessed with being very a lean person to start with. So that can be helpful.
1: Is that a simple avenue to find someone in, in most cities or towns that can figure yeah. that composition out?
2: Yeah, you can almost always find somebody that has a bod pod. And, and those are those are pretty good. Actually, a, a DEXA scan, that's what women have on a regular basis to check bone density. If the hospital has the software, it will give you an extremely accurate body composition not just the bone density. So ask if you have to get one anyway. I mean, it wouldn't cost any more or be any different. Just same scan get a and get a, a, a full body composition with it. But the, the hospital or the medical facility has to have the, the right computer software to run all of that. Right. But it's worth asking. Underwater weighing is kind of hard to get. Most it, It's hard to do and hard to get. So I, it, most people aren't doing that anymore. Uh, the bioelectrical impedance, you got to be Careful! It has a lot of variability, and if it's not done well, you're not, you're not going to get good data. So I would look for a VOD pot. I think that's probably the best way to go for for the average person. Okay,
1: it's great information. I think
0: so. I thought about another question related to supplements, and I guess really just about vitamins and, and minerals, just regular nutrition. So if you go and get your annual physical, your doctor's going to figure out if you're deficient in in anything, but as an endurance athlete, are there any of these vitamins or minerals that need to be higher or lower because we're endurance athletes or are we just baseline like everybody else?
2: As far as I know, we're we're baseline like everybody else. And people some people will argue that having a higher vitamin D level might be beneficial but as, as far as I know, the studies that have really looked at that haven't haven't borne that out very well. Having extra iron is certainly not a good thing. So it actually can be dangerous and counterproductive. It can cause all kinds of problems. So you, you don't, if you're taking a supplement that has iron in it, I would get my, my ferritin level checked. And if the ferritin level is normal, I'd get off the iron supplement. You know, I'd get a, a multivitamin without iron. If your iron level is low, then absolutely take it. But if it's not, there's no need to take extra, extra iron. And just again, going through the different vitamins and minerals, antioxidants, there's good evidence that those impair training. So I I would not take extra antioxidants. A good reason not to do that. As far as I know, athletes don't need more. They just need to be in the same normal range as everybody else. Good to know.
1: So we started the top of the show with the base of all this, like the foundation of all this is good daily nutrition. and. I know this is showing my age a little bit, but when I was going through school, it was all about the food pyramid and now it's the plate, the my plate or whatever. I mean, I know it's, it's the right balance of protein, carbs, healthy fats, and also healthy carbs, (laughs) but are there certain foods that you recommend that just have the greatest nutritional value for endurance athletes?
2: I mean, you're spot on when you're talking about, and, and I saw something on the news the other day about macro, the macro diet has gotten popular. What, what is the macro diet? And really, it's it's paying attention to the macronutrients, the three, you know, three macronutrients, protein, fat, and carbohydrate. And it's really just being mindful of what you're taking in and making sure it's not junk. But um, if, if, you know, if you're thinking about the quality of the food you're eating and you're looking at carbohydrates, then... Fresh fruits and vegetables are a great source. If we're looking at starchy vegetables, nothing wrong with those. You know, people are afraid of potatoes and they're afraid of carrots and they're afraid of corn any because they think it has too much carbohydrate. Not for an athlete. Those are all those are all fine. It's you know, it's it's what we do to them rather than the vegetable itself. And if if you you know add a bunch of stuff to it, then you know maybe you've added too much salt and too much fat and other things to it. But as as far as the carbohydrate content, it's 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 great. And then if you're looking at at grains, whole grains are extremely healthy. And unless you're truly gluten sensitive, wheat's great. You know, I think a lot of people are are concerned that they may be gluten sensitive, but, you know, they're really missing out. If they're not truly have a, a sensitivity to gluten, they're really missing out on all of the benefits that are in some of these whole grains. As you take those whole grains and you process them, the processing does a couple of things. It makes them easier to digest. They probably taste a little bit better. They feel a little bit better in your mouth, but it also removes a lot of the good stuff like the, the bran and the fiber and those kind of things from it. So if you're going to take in grains, trying to stay on the whole grain end of the spectrum is a lot healthier thing to do. Uh, it's like whole grain, whole vegetables, whole fruits, try to eat it as close to the way it came out of the field. And, and you're going to be, it's hard to go wrong with that. And then if you're looking at proteins. Fatty fish, it's hard to go wrong with fatty fish like salmon and sardines. Really (laughs) more and more evidence supporting heart health and heart benefit of, of those kind of meats.
1: You know, it's funny. We have athletes on our team that if we assign them a workout, whether they like it or don't like it, they get after it because they know it's helping them improve. But if we may suggest Healthy food, like maybe adding some avocado or some salmon, they're like, Oh, I don't like that. <laughs> well, you probably didn't like that workout either, but it's healthy,
2: <laughs> yeah. And and you know, there's probably things you can do to it to make it taste pretty good, right? The way you fix it, and it's just I think a lot of it is people just aren't, it's, it's not what they've grown up eating, mm-hmm. and, and you know, it's just it's not their custom, so. It's it's just a little bit harder to, you, you kind of develop your palate as you as you grow up, and it's just not what they've developed, but they can learn new things. Uh, the other one is, is nuts and seeds, you know, extremely nutritious, and we don't eat enough of those.
0: So do you have a recommendation on which nuts and which seeds?
2: Wide variety. So, you know, I think maybe we talked about this earlier, but when we we're talking about eating fruits and vegetables, it's eat the rainbow, as many different colors as you possibly can, because... Some of the nutrients are what give all the fruits and vegetables, or, or one of the things to give fruits and vegetables all their different colors. So, if we want a lot of different nutrients, we want to eat a lot of different colors in, in the vegetables. And I would think the same thing would go for nuts and seeds and those kind of things. Don't just stick with one because they all have a little bit of different nutritional composition. So, have a, have mixed nuts, have a wide variety.
1: And macadamia nuts are just delicious.
2: And they are, yeah, <laughs> yeah now if you're watching if you're watching your calories you got to be careful because it adds up in a hurry <laughs> it's like avocados are they're, they're great they're healthy the fat in them is 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 a healthy fat it does good things but they also you just got to be careful you have to take into consideration how many calories of that it has
1: you do not want to put an open jar of peanut butter and a spoon anywhere near me because it doesn't even <laughs> have to be altered like any nut butter I can yeah. just eat a thousand calories without even knowing it. So I have to get my little tablespoon out and then put it away.
2: (laughs) But it tastes really good.
1: Yes.
0: So speaking of tasting really good, my go-to dessert is the pitted medjool dates paired with 90% dark chocolate. And there's a ton of calories in that. But from a nutritional standpoint, is that a healthy dessert? Compared to what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Not compared to the fresh fruit salad I make.
0: Compared to ice cream and cookies.
2: It, it sounds really good. And, you know, they're, they're again, good, good evidence for, for dark chocolate. Um, it has lots of nutrients in it. The polyphenols and things that are in that are healthy. Those are the kind of things that, if you think about nutrient density and calorie density, it's, those are nutrient dense and calorie dense kind of foods. So, as long as you take them in moderation, they're fine. That's the hard part. It is.
1: Yeah. I, I live and die by my food processor. So, I can take just a little bit of dark chocolate, a couple of pitted dates, and a handful of cashews, process it all up and make little date balls, we call them. Those are add a little uh, Himalayan pink salt and cinnamon. And mm. I'm telling you, it's
2: good stuff.
0: That's better
1: that than Snickers.
2: <laughs> have have you seen you mentioned the my plate thing have you seen athletes plate i don't think i have okay so just google um usoc u.s olympic committee athletes plate and it um i guess we're still using this it's very similar to the the my plate setup except it you'll it shows you examples of of training for light training days or if you're trying to watch your weight Moderate training days and then really heavy training days, and I think they even have a competition day plate. So it just gives you examples of how to set up a plate if you're if you're training a different part of your uh, of of your training cycle. Oh, that's great. We'll have to check that out. If okay. you're periodizing training, you want to periodize your nutrition to go along with that. You don't want a big mismatch in your calories. If you're training really hard, you need to be taking in the calories. You don't want to get in the in the hole. But if you're not training that hard, you don't want to keep eating the same amount of calories as when you're in a heavy training cycle or you're going to gain unwanted weight. So you try to balance those things.
1: Yes. I downloaded a free app to my phone. It's called my fitness pal, but it also communicates with Garmin. So I let it know what I eat each day. And it's real simple because I'm patterned. So it has all my food in there and then it, loads in my caloric burn for the day. And so I'm able to keep track of just that when I'm in a low training cycle, I don't eat as much when I'm in a high, when I do my three hour run, I can't eat enough that day. <laughs> yep.
2: Does, does it give you a balance at the end of the day or the end of the week? Or how does it, what does it tell you?
1: Yes, you can go in and it'll tell you what you, well, you can set it up you know different athletes like different percentages of carbs or protein and so it will tell you after each meal where you are on that scale maybe you've had 30% carbs so far and you're shooting for 48% or and so yes and at the end of the day you can press a summary and it'll say if every day were like today then in 3 weeks you'll weigh and it'll give you a number <laughs> which I know it's not that scientific but it's really helped me with quantities. I feel like at the end of 2017, I really had gotten a grasp of my quality of food. You know, I don't drink sodas and I on a regular basis. Don't eat refined sugars and flours and that type of thing. Like I, we really try to eat fresh fruits, vegetables, but quantities don't seem to impact him nearly as they impact me. So it's very much helped me. Because sometimes I just won't eat enough or sometimes I'll eat too much. So this has really helped me.
0: So Scott, you mentioned salmon and sardines earlier, and I'm a big fan of salmon. I'll it, get
1: you some sardines. I don't
0: I don't know that I want sardines. Don't put that on my training plan. <laughs> but is there any risk of mercury from eating fish every day?
2: There there is. You know, that's something you have to you have to take into consideration. You certainly wouldn't want to eat it every day. At the same time, people have, you know, they've they've done a lot of studies looking at at heart disease and, and, uh, and risk. So, you know, in those studies, people are are eating salmon, they're eating uh, fatty cold water fish. And if you look at overall mortality, it, it does seem to be better. And that to me, that would take into consideration everything. I think it's something to be mindful of. It's something to take into consideration. And if you're, if you just, Absolutely, want to avoid any chance of taking in mercury. Then you would want to avoid taking in those fish. And and people that would uh, are are real supporters of a you know of a vegan diet would point that out, and they would use that as an argument not to eat those fish. Yeah, they have a point. So
0: speaking of vegan, I've been trying to eat the plant based beef every once in a while, and it's pretty good. But from a health standpoint, do you have an opinion on whether that is healthier than cow's beef?
2: I have to honestly say I don't know. I know that if if you look at the list of ingredients, it's pretty long, and that always concerns me a little bit. And I've if and I know they've added a lot of things to the the plant material to make it look and smell and taste like beef. And are are those some of the things that are potentially harmful in beef? And they've put this in there. Or or not? And I, I just don't know. Um, I would rather. I, I would think that if, if you've made a black bean burger and you know what's in your black bean burger and it's you've really done a, a good job putting that together with with healthy, um, you know, vegetables, then that would be to me a better option than a artificial meat product of some kind. As far as I know, the to me the jury is still out on that. There are probably people that are much more in the know than I am about that. But right now I'm sort of a an open-minded skeptic when it comes to, to that product.
0: Yeah, that's one of my f- concerns. I was looking for an alternative to beef and this does taste really good. But then I got to thinking, like you said, there's just a lot of ingredients. And I've heard, you know, the more ingredients, the the more skeptical you should be about what you're eating.
1: So Dean's dietary needs and my dietary needs are a lot different. He struggles more with cholesterol. And then I struggle a little bit with low iron. So I intentionally eat beef, but I'll get the 96% lean and the grass fed. Like I try to eat really clean, but he worries about that impacting his cholesterol.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know the things that I, I think are are best proven to improve cholesterol would be things like whole grains that um, have a lot of, of of fiber that can help lower cholesterol. Again, then you think about the omega-3 to omega, omega-6 omega fatty acids and the ratio there of, of, of those. And that's where the fatty fish, those type of things come in that may help some with that. And, and nuts, seeds. the omega fatty acids in nuts and seeds are different than the ones in in fish. And so you got to be careful you're comparing the apples to apples when we're talking about those things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Good to know. And I try to get a, uh, a little bit of uh, almonds every day and a nice green salad for lunch, oatmeal for breakfast, uh, avocados. It seems like my diet is heavy on healthy fats. I may not get as much protein as I, I probably need since I'm leaning more heavily towards the
2: healthy fats, mm-hmm. trying to keep the cholesterol in check. Mm-hmm. There are some really... Let's see. I was looking at this the other day and I, I made a, a list of uh, you know, higher protein foods. Let me see if I could find that.
1: Egg whites.
2: Yeah. Well, of course, you know, things like uh, all the soy products, do you do okay with soy? Yeah,
0: we used to drink soy milk all the time that we shifted to almond milk. But even that, I was looking at almond milk, chocolate almond milk, and one of the top ingredients is sugar. Yeah. So I'm, I'm thinking about scaling back on that.
2: But things like just edamame, um, mm-hmm. tofu, tempeh, lentils, all, all kinds of legumes, those, those are really great sources of protein. You know, then you get down to it and people will say, well, is it a complete protein or not? And that's where having a variety of vegetables comes in. And that increases the likelihood that in the course of that meal, you're taking in all of the amino acids that are necessary. You're just relying on one protein source. Okay.
1: So this next question is I know it can be misleading because there's so many diets with the high fat ketosis type diets, but this question really isn't about that. It's more about how endurance athletes should build their fitness to rely on their fat stores versus their carbohydrate intake.
2: When you're when you're exercising, we're we're really we, we're hybrids when it comes to energy and we're always, better not use the term, well, we're almost always <laughs> using a mix of carbohydrate and fat and maybe some protein to fuel what we're doing. And um, that that mix is determined by several things. And one is is just the intensity of the effort. So the harder you exercise, the more carbohydrate and the less fat you're going to use. That's just you know, that, that's just the way it is. And I don't know any way of reversing that. And so if you're competing in something, if you're really and truly racing and it is marathon distance or shorter, I have a hard time thinking that you can, you're, that, that you can use anything other than carbohydrate as your main fuel source. Because if you're really racing, you're pushing yourself hard. You're, now you you may be able to use a, a different blend of carbohydrate and fat where you're using maybe a little less carbohydrate, and a little more fat, but that may not be an advantage when you're trying to exercise hard. And so if you're really trying to push yourself and you're trying to exercise hard, carbohydrate seems to be the best fuel from an oxygen consumption standpoint. So why would you not want to use carbohydrate efficiently?
0: So Scott, you mentioned that you are an ultra marathoner and we have a friend who is training for the Moab 240. So, of course, he's wanting to do that as fast as he can, but it's still going to be a very moderate pace over the 5 days. So, an athlete like that, would fat be a better fuel source than carbohydrates since it's more of a slow burn?
2: And so so that is that that is an instance in which the exercise intensity and the requirements of the event may be perfect trying to be more fat adapted it might and I' just say might be a better way to to go for some people to me the longer the event the slower the pace the more consistent the pace so if you're doing a long event that's going to have episodes where you've got to surge and respond to say somebody else making surges or making attacks and you've got to do something to counter that or if you're having to do attacks up a hill or something like that you need a higher power output for those things and you'd be better off being more more efficient with carbohydrate you want to be a good carbohydrate user to, to be able to do that but if it's something that's low intensity and the pace is relatively the same through the whole thing and it's really long then you can start making an argument that maybe fat would be a better source of fuel and if you're if you're more fat adapted and a better fat user then maybe you'd have an advantage the other couple of places that will really comes in is if you have trouble taking in fuel during the event so you know some people just get a really upset stomach and if you're heavily dependent on carbohydrate at some point, you're going to run out, you know, you, your body just can't keep up. You're going to have your stores are gone and your liver can't make enough glucose to keep up. And that's where you really truly do hit the wall. And once you've gotten to that point, there's not much you can do about it. If you can avoid that by preferentially using fat, then that may be an advantage. So in that case, when I, if I can't take in carbohydrate during the race, and I'm really going to rely on my own stores, i got a lot more fat stores than I have carbohydrate stores. So being more fat adaptive would be beneficial in that. And then in the other situation would be if you have to carry all your own food. So if you look at these seven-day, eight-day, 10-day adventure races, where you're not only racing, but you're carrying all of your own supplies, Uh, fat is a very concentrated form of fuel, and you'll get but from a weight standpoint, you'll you'll carry more calories for less weight if you're relying more on fat as your fuel, and you don't have to carry as much fuel because you have more stored naturally in your body. So there there's situations where you can make an argument for being fat adapted, but I think it's really specific and you have to look at the event that you're trying to trying to compete in. I'll end that by just saying also though that uh, there have been some race walking studies, and you think well, race walking it's not that high intensity and so that'd be an ideal place to be fat adapted, and when they took the athletes and they fat adapted them, they actually performed less well than they did on a carbohydrate plant. Okay, well, but really high-level race walking may not be low intensity. That may—that's a caveat in that. If you're doing really high-level race walking, that can be pretty intense.
1: Yes,
0: yeah, that's what I was going to say. Is that the race walking I've seen it's impressive? It looks, it looks fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's different.
1: Yeah. This could probably be a podcast topic in and of itself, but we have several athletes that all of their workouts have to be designed on a route that has public restrooms and sort (laughs) of potties because their digestive issues are just so, so uh, debilitating almost. And they seem to be fine in every other aspect of their life, except for when they're doing high intensity training you have any suggestions or tips to help <laughs> he oh, yeah. his head no. no. <laughs>
2: that's, that's a hard one look at what they're doing going into those workouts uh, when they when their last meal was and you know it, it may be something if you can s- separate that meal from the workout more the meal before that workout also it's not the healthiest food but that's where you want to that's where you may want to have stuff that's really much more bland A little bit more refined, easier to digest, less fiber in it, less whole vegetables and less whole grains. And, you know, that's where that's where the more processed food may be better, because if you get that out of your gut, you're not going to have to deal with it later. So if it's easy to absorb, then that that might be beneficial. If they're if they're taking in coffee or tea or something like that to get a little jolt of caffeine before the workout, I'd eliminate that because that can that can cause that. Trying to stay hydrated can help with, with GI upset, but it may be a matter of just drinking water because if the sport drink, whatever they're taking in or if they're taking in goose or something like that, that can cause problems. So looking at all of those things and, and, and even with that, it can be tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So
0: we often have athletes who tell us they have a, an ache or a pain And we often recommend they they see their physical therapist and and try to figure out what's going on. But what are the options or are there healthy options for pain medication when we have aches and pains?
2: Yeah, there there are healthy options. Um, I I think you always try to do things that are not going to cause a lot of potential harm or side effects. So topical things are generally safer. So starting with with topicals and that includes ice and heat and massage and those are all great things and the old thing rub a little dirt on it well rub on it there is actually some good pain relief from that so going to get a professional massage or or some uh, some soft tissue work can be really helpful at home using uh, hot or cold i mentioned compression earlier if you can do some compression or some of the the compression like the boots and things that you can wear sometimes that will help and those really don't have a lot of potential side effects. And then if that's not working and, and you want to take some kind of a pain reliever, then the, the best rule of thumb is to take the smallest dose that's effective and take it for the shortest amount of time. And, you know, usually that would mean something like uh, an over-the-counter analgesic NSAID, like a leave or ibuprofen or something like that. Uh, for musculoskeletal pain, those are going to be way more effective than Tylenol, acetaminophen. So, uh, I think most people don't recommend Tylenol or acetaminophen anymore for musculoskeletal pain because it just doesn't seem to be as effective. But uh, again, if you're going to do something like that, smallest dose that works, and as soon as you're better, stop taking it because there are potential side effects. There's a little bit of evidence for, for turmeric, and if people can take turmeric supplements, and if if it doesn't bother your stomach, then it seems to be safe and and may be effective for a lot of people. And uh, it doesn't work immediately. So like if you take on a leave, it works pretty quickly. Turmeric, I think you gotta take on a regular basis to get more of a, of a regular anti-inflammatory effect from it. So as part of my
0: daily routine, I have a protein shake in the morning and I've been putting a little cinnamon and turmeric in it. So is that something that's good to take consistently? Whereas some of the other things we said, we really just want to take it before a, a big race.
2: Yeah, good question. Um, It's probably going to be dose-related, and you got to be careful with that. If you take really, really big doses, then that's not going to be, I think, to your best interest. If you're just taking a little bit, then probably not going to be harmful at all. That's the other thing, and I didn't mention that earlier, and I should have. When you look at dosing of supplements or or dosing of extra things you're taking, when it's in the food source, you know, the quantities there. And again, if you're mixing it with a lot of other a big variety of, of, of spices or a big variety of fruits and vegetables, and you're getting a little bit of this, a little bit of that, it may be more effective at a low dose because it's synergistic with other things. And But what do we do? We, we think, well, if a little bit is good, then a lot's got to be much better. And we'll concentrate it and put it in a, a shot, or we'll concentrate it and put it in a capsule. And in those cases, it may not be effective, and it may actually have some some adverse effects. So you got you just got to be really careful and, and, and read up and, and understand what you're taking. And that's a, another good example for putting a little bit of cinnamon and, and a little bit into a, a smoothie in the morning. That's going to be fine. You may not get as much of a pharmacologic effect because you may not be taking as big a dose, but you may not want a full pharmacologic effect from
1: it. One other health food supplement that I had read about that supposedly helps with aches and pains, and I may not even be saying this correctly. Is cumin, or have you heard of that? Curcumin. Mm-hmm.
2: That's that's what's as far as, that's what's in turmeric. Or turmeric's in it.
1: Those okay, are,
2: they're, they're very similar. Okay. When you're when you're taking those, it has to do with what's the bioavailability. Some of that is not very well absorbed, and you have to be careful about the preparation. And if you're taking it in a, as a supplement, if it's not absorbed very well, then you're really it's just passing on through and you're not getting the, the benefit from that. If it's more in a food source, then again, you're getting the, the mix of things. And I, I think it, it's probably a little, little more healthy. Okay. So experiment with different spices because that's the taste, the things that flavor food, the things that color uh, vegetables and fruits. Those are the different nutrients and a wide variety is a, is a good way to go.
0: Mm-hmm. So we've talked a lot about nutrition and supplements. And in the beginning, we talked about how important it is for sleep for the recovery process. What about things that we can do or take to help us sleep better and recover better?
2: With, from a, a sleep standpoint, the, the first thing is, is working on sleep hygiene. And what I mean by that is just it, it's trying to be as consistent with your bedtime routine as you possibly can. And, and not doing things that are counterproductive. So again, caffeine before you go to bed, or for most people, exercise right before you go to bed, or spending a lot of time on the computer or the phone, or anything that really gets your brain going just before you go to bed. You wanna do things that, that signal to your brain that it's time to go to sleep. You know, your brain has this circadian rhythm throughout the day, there's time to get up, there's time to go to bed. And, and a lot of that is driven by light exposure, And some of it is in food timing. And so if you're consistent with those things, then you can kind of program your brain to know when it's time to get up and and hopefully when it's time to shut down and go to sleep. If we're constantly changing bedtime, that confuses our brain. If we're constantly doing different things around bedtime, that can can confuse our brain and make it harder to go to sleep. So setting a a consistent routine, something signals your brain that it's time to start winding down and it's time to go to bed. Making the sleeping environment as conducive to sleep as you possibly can. So, making it cool but not cold, making it quiet, making it as dark as you can possibly get it. If you, put a, if you have difficulty going to sleep, sometimes putting on a little background noise, like white noise, like a fan or a, a noise machine, something that just makes a real, you know, just a, a dull background kind of noise can drown out little changes in things in the background that might wake you up. Those are all things that can really make sleep better. If that's not working and you're looking for some kind of a, of a supplement to help with sleep, I know probably the most common is either going to be an antihistamine of some kind or, or melatonin. I would use the same rule of thumb, the, the smallest amount that's effective and the shortest amount of time that's, that, that you can get away taking that and then try to stop as, as quickly as you can. Mm-hmm. One of the mistakes I think people make with melatonin is taking too much. There's kind of a right dose and then there's, there's too much. And the lower doses tend to be, tend to be better.
1: As far as the sleep hygiene goes, I think that we should make it illegal to switch to daylight saving time because it does not save daylight. It shifts my beautiful morning daylight to the evening when I would rather be going to sleep.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree. I, yeah, I don't I'm not sure it benefits anybody. And, <laughs> and all it does, it, it just it, it does. It's like you've traveled a different time zone. So you got jet lag for about a month until you get used to it.
1: Yeah. If I ever run for president, that's going to be my one platform item.
2: (laughs) You got my vote.
1: (laughs) Or if you have to fall backward, could you do it? uh, Or you can fall backward on the weekend, I guess. But if you have to spring forward, can you do it on Wednesday?
0: (laughs) Consistent, consistent. (laughs) So we've talked about nutrition. We've talked about supplements. We've talked a little bit about sleep. There's a scripture I wanted to share. It's Proverbs seventeen twenty-two. It says, a joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. So regardless of what we eat or drink or the supplements we take, if we don't have you know, joy and peace in our lives, then we're just not going to be healthy. There's nothing we can take that's going to make us the greatest athletes in the world if our minds and our hearts aren't just still and peaceful and, and joyful. So another version of this scripture says uh, laughter is good medicine. I don't know how much we've laughed on this podcast, but it's been really fun.
2: Well, that you know that is so true. And it never ceases to amaze me that I'm not sure when Proverbs was written, how long ago, but that's every bit as true today as it was when it was written. And, and you know, people have recognized the need for the the psychology, spirituality, and the social connectedness that make us human are so important. And a lot of times, modern medicine misses that. And we're we're so focused on the you know, the molecular basis of whatever that we, we sometimes we miss the the human side of things. And I'm glad you, that that's the scripture you decided to use today because I think that's very appropriate.
1: Good
2: talk. Amen. All right. <laughs> yeah. Just give you an amen and, and shut up.
1: <laughs> that's usually what I do after he reads a verse because I never can say it better than the proverb says it. So
0: no, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, Scott, we really appreciate you taking time to share your expertise with us again. And our audience really enjoyed the last podcast. I know they're going to enjoy this one as well. And if we think of something else, We'll, uh, we'll reach back out. It's always a pleasure talking with you and, and hopefully I'll see you out running or, or riding a bike sometime.
2: Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you and I, I really enjoy this. I'd be glad to come back anytime, and I look forward to seeing you out on the green belt. All right, have All right. a good evening.
0: Thank you. You Bye too. At RYR Endurance Team, we specialize in customized coaching. What is customized coaching? It's more than a training plan. It's a relationship. It's a partnership. So what are your goals? What are you training for? Contact us at ryrcoach at gmail.com or visit us on our website ryrenduranceteam.com.
1: Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, please do us a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. This helps others find us. Thanks for listening.